Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hey, 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 how are we? I hope everyone is having a great week. Before we get started, I'm just going to plug my Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Liz Explains and you can get access to like 150 episodes in which I talk about things. Last week I did a documentary called Beanie Mania. I talked about Beanie Mania and all things Beanie Baby and 90s and toys, all that fun stuff. This week, I believe uh, Princess and I are going to recap the first two parts of the Sister Wives Tell All reunion thing where Cody admits that he hasn't fucked Mary in 12 years or something. And well, over a decade is the language that they're using. And in this upcoming episode, supposedly is going to say he doesn't love Janelle or isn't in love with Janelle. We'll see. I think that might be some tricky editing. TLC is good at tricky editing. So if you're interested in hearing that and all my thoughts on the season as this arrives, go to patreon.com slash Liz Explains and you can hear it. So this week, feathers in my hair. Here's the deal. I watched the new family reunion. My plan was to recap last week's family reunion and this week's family reunion. It's fucking boring. (laughs) It's really boring, and I don't feel like talking about anything that happened in this episode. I just don't care for it. Um, Watching them do, like, inner child stuff, but showing pictures of them at 18. Like, that's not really what inner child healing is. Um, Farrah just showing up at the very end. Brie having an asthma attack. I just don't care. Nothing interesting is really happening on this show. I was, like I said, I was going to recap two episodes and I just didn't feel inspired at all. Like I finished watching that, the newest episode, I went back and read my notes from last week's episode and was like, hmm, I, nothing here is inspiring to me to talk about. Um, Maybe next week with Farrah coming, I probably will want to talk about it. They did show a clip of Ashley saying something like, this is not what I thought a marriage would be. I'm very curious about Ashley and Barbie married. So, like, maybe when that comes up, I'll talk about that. Um, but it's just not that interesting like we knew it would be, right? Um, if anything, I was, like, pleasantly supri- surprised with the first couple episodes. And I didn't mind watching this. Like, I watched the whole thing. It was fine. I just don't think there's anything, like, recap-worthy about it. I think it's definitely worth watching, like, scrolling on your phone. Like, it's a good background phone show. It's just, like, not not that much is going on. So, I'm not going to recap that. So, I thought, what do I want to talk about this week? What should I talk about this week? And I thought, let's dip back into Teen Mom 2. I had so much fun last week talking about those episodes, so I got on my Paramount Plus app, which, by the way, Paramount Plus app has, like, all of the old seasons of everything Teen Mom. I think they even have Teen Mom 3 and Teen Mom on there, so you can go get a Paramount Plus subscription and watch all the Teen Mom. I know I always see people asking, like, where they can watch Teen Mom, and that's it. That's where. So you can go on there, watch it. I went to season six. I was kind of, like clicking around and I was like, oh, I know what I want to watch because I've not watched these in so many years. And it'd be nice to have this in my memory, especially after like the episodes we watched last week. And it's the one 
Well, I watched two. I think for these Starbucks, two episodes is really nice unless I watch like a crazy, like if I turn one on and I have like seven pages of notes for one episode, I would just do that, obviously. But I turned this on and I decided to watch season six, episodes eight and nine, because that's when Leah decides to go to treatment. And then leave, like before she can even go, leaves because her mom gets her like spun the fuck out over Corey, like stealing the girls away from her. And yeah, they were really good episodes just to set the scene. So we're about like a year after where we were last week, um, Janelle and Nate have just broken up. Nate has been arrested for domestic violence, the why am I guy fight, which I think I did do like a throwback recap of. That's like pinging in my head. But I did that episode forever ago, I'm sure. Uh, But that's kind of where they are. They're like breaking up, getting back together. He has met Jessica at this point. If you'll remember, Jessica's the girl that Janelle eventually gets in a fight with. I mean, it's like barely a fight, but charges come from it. And then Jessica's the one that has accused Nate of, like, really serious domestic violence, like, really scary serious domestic violence, which is covered in his Being Nathan episode. So you could definitely watch that, Being Nathan, to hear about the Jessica. I feel like I just lost my train of thought. Also, my new thing is that, like, I was reading symptoms of long COVID. I think I might have gotten COVID not that long ago. My brain feels so foggy. I have like a debilitating fatigue at all times for like the last three weeks and it kind of came out of nowhere and I'm wondering if I got COVID and just didn't realize I got COVID and now I'm having some side effects. Also, maybe that's just me imagining it. So, (laughs) but my brain has felt like really, really foggy for the last couple weeks and it really sucks. I mean, It's hard to tell, like, what's ADD, what's tiredness, what's life issues, and what could possibly be some, like, physical health stuff. So, there's that funness. Okay, so at this point in time, Chelsea and Cole have been together for 10 months. So, I was right-ish. When I watched last week, I was like, I think Chelsea may have met Cole at this point. I think she meets him very shortly after this. Uh, Somebody in my comment section had corrected me that, I guess... I was recapping a 5A episode, and in 5B, it comes out that Chelsea and Adam slept together one more time. But this is, like, around the time that she's meeting Cole. When we get here in these episodes, her and Cole are, like, in a serious relationship. He's fully filming. He's now Aubrey's father, which, don't worry, we will be getting into. (laughs) We will be getting into that. Um, Kale is kind of just, like, doing the same old Delaware thing. Her and Javi are really starting to disintegrate, but... It's hard to say they're starting to disintegrate because they were never a healthy couple ever. They have the most random toxic fight in this episode that I'm very excited to talk about. And Leah has decided that her and Jeremy are going to get divorced. She comes up with this plan that she's going to go to rehab. In my opinion, probably in an attempt to win Jeremy back. That's like a classic move for someone with substance use issues. Like once consequences start being like, okay, 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 I'll go to treatment, I'll get I'll get help. And Jeremy's like, I'm not interested in this. <laughs> like, I don't really care if you go get help. You should go get help, but don't call me, basically, is what he had to say about that. So that's where we are when we pick up in this episode. I will say, looks-wise, for many of them, this is like peak how I imagine. When I close my eyes, 
and meditate on my favorite show, Teen Mom 2. And I think, what do my girlies look like? Who's the cast? What do they look like? This is what I picture. Like, there's a scene of Janelle laying on the couch, kind of like propping herself up and talking to her friend. And I was like, that's Janelle. Like, I don't know why. It's like seared into my brain. Like, that's what Janelle looks like. Like, on that couch, like half propped up talking is what I picture when I picture Janelle Evans. This is peak Chelsea having terrible, ugly hair. She's like, her. she has so many extensions and they look so heavy. They look so bad. She's like constantly rocking an ugly headband. Uh, Kale, kind of. I actually, for whatever reason, Kale, Kale to me, current day Kale is like how Kale looks in my head. Like how she's looked for the last like five years is Kale to me. So she still looks a little young in this. And then Leah, of course, um, <laughs> Leah's looking tough. <laughs> these episodes. It is tough to watch Leah. I don't want to use the word triggering because it's not triggering. That's not an accurate phrase to use at all. In general, I don't really find myself ever getting triggered. It It's not a relevant phrase to my life when it comes to drugs, in my opinion, being triggered. I know it is for other people, but it's just like not for me. And usually like consuming content about drug addicts like really doesn't trigger me. Although there is stuff that I just like choose not to watch because I've realized I just don't like care about it that much or it doesn't interest me that much or like it makes me feel like blah, but it doesn't make me actually like want to use drugs. So Leah wasn't like triggering me in this episode, but she was like it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch her in some scenes because you could just see how badly she was doing. Um, her She's so thin. Her hair looks awful. Oh my god, her hair looks so bad. She doesn't have any makeup on. She's like in crappy clothes, which I don't say like as an insult to her because Kale is spending most of these episodes not in makeup and like in baggy clothes. And it it doesn't really make me think anything because Kale often looks like that. And I say this as someone that almost never wears makeup and wears like sweatpants around all of the time. So I'm not saying that it's like an insult to <laughs> to not wearing makeup and wearing, like, unfashionable clothes. But Leah is somebody that, on camera at least, has always had a full face of makeup, has her hair done in a cute outfit. Do I think the outfit and the hair and the makeup look good? Not often. But it's clear that she's, like, putting an effort into her appearance is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Leah has always put an effort into her appearance, so it's hard to watch these scenes where she's, like, clearly not putting effort into her appearance at all. So let's start with Chelsea. Chelsea and Cole um, are getting a pig. So in the first episode is the episode where they get Pete the pig. Uh, Pete the pig, as far as I know, I think somebody recently posted them on the subreddit. Pete still lives with them. They have, like, a whole whole farm going on in their house. Um, part of watching Chelsea and Cole in these early episodes is I watch their behavior and part of me is like, well, it's not a big deal because it works out, right? Like watching how fast they're moving and how serious they are. They haven't even been together for 10 months at this point. Watching all of this, it's like, well, I mean, it's okay because her and Cole, like, end up married and now they've been together for almost 10 years, blah, blah, blah. But 
remembering how short of a time they've been together and listening to them talk about the fact that Cole is now Aubrey's dad is it's tough. They are in peak baby voice talking about this pig. It's truly unbearable, actually, to listen to them. Um, to watch their scenes was honestly a little unbearable to me. <laughs> and it's not like oh, I don't want to watch two happy people in a relationship. It's not that at all. It's really not that. It's the fucking voices they used to talk to each other. We're going to get a pig. Oh, it's our baby Cole. Cole, I always wanted to get a pig with a lover. Cole, it's our baby. Will you make me a single mommy again, Cole? That's how she talks the entire fucking episode. But she's a naturally higher register than I do, so it's even more annoying. Oh, my God. And he does it back. I forgot how bad the baby talking was. It's really, like, keep that private, honestly. Like, you and your significant other want to do that with each other. That's fine. You know, every couple has their fucking thing. You guys want to baby talk to each other? That's fine. Keep it private. You know, don't make, don't subject me to your kink. Like, I, I don't need to hear it. So they get the coal. Um, They get the coal. They get the pig. There is a scene. <laughs> Where they're, like, getting ready to leave the house to get the pig. They're going to drop uh, Aubrey off at Glamma Mary's because they have to, like, go to the airport to get the pig. And they're all hyped up, right? Like, they're so hyped up. Uh, by the way, they have money in this season. And I know they start getting money in, like, season three and season four. But this is, like, a really sweet spot of money because I feel like last season when we watched the show had been off the air for a year. And I think there was, like, a lot of uncertain uncertainty in their money situation. In this, they've done season six A and B season, or season five A and B season. Like, they're fully in season six. Like, the money is flowing. They're all in new cars, new homes. Like, I noticed Aubrey is wearing Ray-Ban sunglasses, it looked like. Like, I'm pretty sure she was in Ray-Ban sunglasses. You can, they're doing well. Chelsea has bought that house that she lives in for a while. They do live in that until they move, like, they live in that until they move into that house they were in before they built the house, I believe. Um, so they're in that house and they're all hyped up. Chelsea's like straightening her hair and Aubrey and Cole are kind of like playing in the kitchen and Aubrey's like jumping around. By the way, Aubrey at five years old is truly the cutest fucking kid. That deep little voice of hers. She's so fucking cute. Hearing her talk about adult subjects is so cute. Is it bad? Sure. But when she goes, my dad's been to jail twice. Like, that's so funny and cute. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it is. I I know that's bad, but to hear her be like, my dad's going to jail. Like, it's so funny in her little voice. <laughs> but Aubrey's like, truly like just jumping up and down and she comes around the corner and with, like, her neck hits the side of the the kitchen island, like, the corner of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was bleeding. Like, she really cut herself. I really, I felt very sad for her. Um, but they get Pete the Pig. It's very cute. I feel sad for Pete the Pig because he's, like, terrified and flipped out. And Chelsea, like, Aubrey comes to meet the pig and you know, they have a talk, which is perfect. Just being like, I know you're really excited about the pig and you can pet him, but like you can't jump and you can't go to grab him and you can't pick him up because he's still scared. So we just have to be calm. I thought she did a good job managing Aubrey's feelings. 
and expectations. But Chelsea was like, okay, I'll pick him up now. And she picks him up and that pig squeals like I've never heard before. I mean, I don't really associate with pigs, but like that pig sounded so fucking scared. (laughs) And of course, this whole thing reminded me of when Caitlin got her pig. (laughs) Remember that? When before Caitlin went to treatment herself and was off her rocker with her mother. And that was the first time I believe we saw them smoking pot on camera while she was driving. Because, well, they, we like didn't actually see her do it, but they put the post it note over the GoPro and then they like left that in, which they had never done before. And they got that pig and we're like chasing it around. I think the pig still lives with April. It's really fucked up to get pigs when you think they're going to be teacup pigs. This girl I know got one and it turned into a full pot belly pig as they do. And she kept it for a really long time, but she has kids now. And I have noticed the pig isn't in pictures the way that it was. Like they took the pig to the beach, like the 150 pound pig. Like <laughs> they really did love this pig. I don't know what's happened to it since then. Um, getting it. I will say like to credit to Chelsea and Cole, they like never called a teacup pig It really seemed like they always knew that Pete was going to be a big pig. This was not like we're going to buy like a starved little piglet and like hope it stays this size forever impulsively the way that Caitlin did. I mean, I know Chelsea got that dog killed that one time. (laughs) But in general, animal wise, I mean, I think she's always been pretty responsible with her pets. And I think Cole is very responsible with the pets. And especially now that Cole doesn't leave the home to go to work. I don't want to say Cole doesn't work. I don't know if that's fair. Like, because just because Chelsea and Cole have careers that don't resemble mine doesn't mean that they're not working, right? Like, they still have to post Instagram stuff and do that fucking Aubrey Says business of theirs. Uh, So I think it's silly to be like they don't have jobs just because they don't have traditional jobs. But they don't work outside the home. And Cole, I think, really has, like, the work ethic to take care of all of the animals and all of the children. I'm curious, like, how much day-to-day work Chelsea does in the, like, in the family for the family. I'm definitely curious, like, how her and Cole manage that. Oh, God, those two. that Those fucking voices. Those baby voices. But it's the second episode that is really interesting. Well, in that first episode, she does say that Aubrey's already saying she has two dads. At this point, as I said, Cole and Chelsea have been together for 10 months. He does not live with her yet and is still five months away from moving in because they talk about when his lease is up. And he's like, I think it's up in like five months and then I'll move in. Girl, stop letting Aubrey say that she has two dads. (laughs) Stop letting that happen. She really rushed into things with Cole. And like, thank God it worked out. Watching this, all I could think the whole time is like, thank God this worked out. Because she like is going so hard with Cole's Aubrey's dad. I almost forgot how hard she went. And I think that I get really forgiving of this the longer they're together. Because like Cole is Aubrey's dad now, right? For all intents and purposes. Like, Cole is the one that is there every single day. I believe that Aubrey probably fully calls Cole dad now. I would imagine, especially with the three little kids in the home and everybody else is calling Cole dad, it's probably just significantly easier to call him dad anyway. I think we that's been going on for quite a while. Um, 
I mean, Cole hasn't adopted her, but I would imagine that if Chelsea and Cole got divorced, he would still be very active in Aubrey's life. But also, you know, Aubrey's 13, like, or 12. How old are the Team Mom 2 kids? I think they're 11 or 12 this year because I think the Team Mom OG kids are turning 13 this year. So they're, like, 11 and 12. I I would imagine Cole would still be very involved in Aubrey's life. I I don't worry about it anymore, but watching this and, like, thinking, like, thank God they didn't break up in, like, a year. And <laughs> not to be rude, but I don't think Chelsea, like, this was, like, an active, I don't know I want to say this. I don't, I'm not sure exactly how I want to word this, but I it's not like Chelsea met someone and was, like, you are the perfect person to be my partner and, like, I know we will be together forever. I don't think Chelsea had the maturity, the foresight to do that. I think that Chelsea did recognize Cole's good qualities, of course. And Cole is a good person. He's nice. He's caring. At that time, he had a stable career. He's a hard worker, from what we can tell. Like, he checks all of the boxes. This is not an insult to Cole. But I don't think Chelsea was like, it's okay for him to be so involved with Aubrey because, like, I know we will be together forever. I don't think that she plans like that. I think she was just like, well, I love Cole and he's a good dad, so he's going to be Aubrey's dad now. I don't know. I'm just glad for Aubrey's sake that it worked out because I think this would have been really traumatic for Aubrey if it didn't. I mean, imagine in six months if she had found out that, like, Cole had cheated on her or she got bored with Cole. I think it's easy to be like, well, Chelsea knew Cole would never cheat. And I just, I don't know if I believe that about Chelsea. I just don't think Chelsea was mature enough to, like, really be making an active decision and being with Cole. You guys know I kind of think she, like, lucked into being with Cole. And I think that she didn't really work on a lot of her issues. She just now gets validation from Cole. Although I do kind of hate when, like, and they talk about this in one of these episodes, actually. Chelsea says something you know how, like, the saying is you turned your life upside down? Well, you came into my life and you turned my life right side up. And I turned your life upside down. And Cole's like, hey, don't say that about yourself. But I think they very much do have that dynamic where Chelsea's the broken one. Chelsea and Aubrey are the ones that had to be saved. And Cole came in and saved them. And I wonder how that's developed, like, the longer they've been married. I don't think we really know because even when they were on the show, we weren't seeing, like, their intimate marriage details like that. They just weren't putting that on television, which who truly who can blame them for that. But Chelsea, Chelsea really lucked into it with Cole. Okay, I just looked at the time and you take a little break and then we'll talk about the second episode. Okay, so it's Aubrey's preschool graduation, which is all very cute. Glamma Mary is over and they're talking about it and Chelsea gets a text from Adam that's like, Chelsea, I cannot believe that you did not tell me about Aubrey's preschool graduation. Like, that's so fucked up. The judge said that you have to be telling me about Aubrey's important life events. And Chelsea's like, I told him a month ago. (laughs) She just scrolled up in her conversation and sent him a screenshot because she had sent him the time and the date, which is infuriating. That would, oh my God. Honestly, the fact that Chelsea doesn't, like, go harder at him, I I would have lost. I would have called him up and cursed him out for that. Like, that would have driven me fucking insane. I guess at that point, Chelsea's just so over it. 
But, oh my God, that would, that would truly make me lose my mind. She's like, it's just so different from Cole because as soon as Cole found out the date, he took off early from work to make sure that he would be there. He's responsible. And it is nice. Like, it is nice hearing Chelsea describe, like, her having a staple man. I think the issue is that Chelsea's world is so small that I feel like, being like, and then it's so great that Chelsea found a man. Oh, my God. It's so great that Chelsea found a man. And then she found a man that made her happy. And that's so, 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 so great. It's like, okay, but, like, what else does she do? What else is going on in her life? We do see her go to work in this episode. This was, like, the one-year period in which she was doing the esthetician stuff. She's wearing this insane headband. (laughs) One of those stretchy headbands, but, like, truly wearing it, like, on her forehead. Like, an athletic stretchy headband that I would wear in seventh grade. And her hair just looks crazy. It, It looks really crazy. I would guess her roots are probably really bad, or maybe she had, like, a ton of dry shampoo in her hair. We talked about this last week, right, that the reason she's always wearing hats and shit is because she just doesn't want to do her hair, and I think the headband is part of that. But she's like, well, you know, Cole is so mature and responsible, and it's like, yeah, he is, and that's good. I just feel like any time we, like, compliment Chelsea, it's like, well, she found Cole. It's like, okay, what else? What else has she done? Is she an active mother? I mean, I think she is. She was an active mother with Aubrey. But, like, does she get joy from that? Does she have... I mean, she has her friends, but, like, does she have hobbies? Does she... I guess she does these online businesses now. I don't know. Just something about the way we talk about Chelsea's life. And I don't mean, like, Chelsea's life is like this. Because we really don't know a lot of Chelsea's... About Chelsea's life outside of the show. It's just that, like, Chelsea on this show has always only been about relationships in a way that I don't feel like is necessarily true for all the other girls. And I wonder if it's because she, like, was kind of on this journey of, like, getting out of this abusive relationship with Adam and, like, changing things and going to school and working hard for the first time in her life and, like, actually having a job. And then she met Cole and it was like, okay, well, I can give up on all of that now. (laughs) Like, don't have to worry about that anymore. Like, I wonder if it was something like that that's the reason for it okay so it's the day of the graduation and Chelsea is doing her classic hearing this made me laugh because I was like oh a Chelsea classic I love when I watch these old episodes and there are just some classic moments in it like this one Chelsea goes so who's coming tonight Aubrey you know that's Chelsea's fucking favorite way which drives me up a wall because Chelsea acts like she's so concerned that Adam's not going to be there and he's going to disappoint Aubrey. So why constantly be like, Aubrey, who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? Until she mentions her dad. Like, why do that? Why don't you go over the people that you, like, know are going to be there? Or why, like, maybe just don't go over the people at all and whoever's there is there. I understand, like, going over things so the kid has a idea of what's going to happen. I'm not, like, saying you shouldn't do that. But... Why not just be like, aren't we so excited to see Papa Randy and Glamma Mary? And I think Aubrey said that Papa and Mama Cole are going to be there. I rewound it, actually. To, so I was like, did she say that? I couldn't really tell. I, I'm pretty sure she said Papa and Mama Cole, which, once again, like, 
a year in, it's like not appropriate that Aubrey is looking at his parents as grandparents and like giving them grandparent names. It's weird. At 10 months, not even 10 months, because later in the episode, she's like, it's almost 10 months together. Like, it's just, it moved too fast. It did. It moved too fast. And here's the thing, like, Chelsea can say all day, like, these are all Aubrey's ideas. But Aubrey is heavily influenced by her mother because she's four. And, like, if she didn't know Cole well enough, like, if Cole wasn't in their lives every single day and staying at their house every single night and, like, taking an active fatherly role in Aubrey's life, then she wouldn't be looking at him that way. The reason Chelsea can be like, well, Aubrey's deciding it. Aubrey's deciding it. Aubrey's deciding it. Aubrey's deciding it because you're, like, facilitating it so hard in her life. Like, that's the reason that Aubrey's deciding it. If you were taking things slow, realistically, Aubrey would have just met Cole not that long before that. And they would have, like, a a pretty hands-off relationship at that point because 10 months is like not that long to already be in a situation where Aubrey is talking about calling Cole dad which we'll get to later in this episode also Chelsea does this thing constantly where she's comparing she keeps saying like well Aubrey knows now like what a dad is and she knows that Cole is like a dad and Adam is not and I'm like stop doing that something about the way that she's like constantly forcing this comparison it's just not needed it just doesn't feel natural and chelsea and i think the thing that makes me like extra suspicious of it is that chelsea like says a hundred times like this is aubrey's idea no no aubrey told me that she wanted to do this aubrey had an idea and it's like aubrey's four girl like She's clearly reading the room and sees what you want and going along with it. And once again, it worked out. I'm glad. I am so happy for Aubrey that she has the life that she has. Like, it is so lovely that Aubrey has a stepfather that's been in her life since she was four years old that she loves very much. It's so lovely that Aubrey has three little siblings that live with her that she has a relationship with because via Adam, like, she doesn't have a very close relationship with her sister, by, I, what do we do? We call Paisley just Aubrey's biological sister or her sister? Because technically, legally, they're not sisters. Like under the law, they're not sisters because they're no longer legally related to one another. But they are still biological sisters. What's the deal with that? So, like, let's say that in a world where a person has a parent has two parents, a mom and a dad. They are not together, and the dad has another child, um, and no more children enter the picture for, like, person A. Let's say that both the parents die, or not both the parents die, but, like, they have an Adam-like situation where the the sibling ends up being adopted. Let's say the parents die. This person has no other family, close family relationships. They never get married, and they die. Is that biological sibling their legal next to kin? Because normally, if there are no parents, children, or spouse, the legal next of kin would be your siblings. So is that person the legal next of kin? I don't know. Maybe I should ask. I do work in a state law. (laughs) I do work in a state planning law. Maybe I should ask a lawyer at my office. But I mean, Paisley is still Aubrey's sister. But I think realistically, because she does not really have a relationship with her father, she was never going to have a close, very close relationship with Paisley. I think that Taylor and Chelsea were never very interested in facilitating that relationship, which 
I don't blame them for, but at the same time, I wish they would more. I know it's like, it's easy to be like, well, that's Adam's job because it is. It absolutely is Adam's job. But I I think a lot of times, and I've definitely talked about this on this show before, when talking about these people, we constantly are like, well, that's not their job. That's not their job. That's her father's job. That's her father's job. But it's not about like whose job it is. It's about the best interests of the child. And I do think it's in the best interests of Paisley and Aubrey to have a relationship that's facilitated for them by their mothers, even if it's not technically their mother's job. It's not fair that that's on Taylor and Chelsea, but I I do wish that they had a closer relationship. I think they still see each other every once in a while, maybe a few times a year. But either way, like I said, I'm glad for Aubrey that she has the life that she has. I mean, look at some of the other kids on this show. And I think that Aubrey always was going to have a different life, right? Because she has a different, she was born into a different socioeconomic situation than most of the people on this show were. She just was. And she was always going to have on her mom's side a really supportive, loving, involved, extended family, regardless of what happened. And honestly, on her dad's side too, right? Like Donna and I don't, do we even know what Adam's dad's name is? We just saw Grandma Donna. But Donna and her husband have their million issues, but nobody can say that they're not actively involved, right? Like they show up constantly for Aubrey. They are there physically. I don't know how emotionally there they are for Aubrey, but like they show up for Aubrey. So Aubrey was always going to have like a, a very supportive extended family. But all things considered, like Aubrey has such a nice life compared to other kids on this show. And I mean, who knows what type of trauma Aubrey has from Adam and having Adam as a father. She's had a lot of trauma in her early life as a result of that. I mean, she has a father that went to jail multiple times, was physically abusive to his partners, has harmed animals. Like, Adam is a really fucking bad person. And For most people, there would be trauma there, but it's possible that it won't affect Aubrey and it's possible that it will. So it's not like Cole comes in and erases that, but like I am happy happy for Aubrey for the life that she has. I'm not saying otherwise, but they rush this so much. And the fact that like Cole's parents are coming to Aubrey's preschool graduation less than a year in, it's just weird. It is. It's too fast. So you know, she answers who's coming from the people that they like. And then Chelsea does a who else, who else, who else until they get to Paisley and my dad, if they remember. Why does she do this? Like, Why does she want Aubrey to like be reminded that her dad maybe won't be coming? She always does this. She's obsessed with it. Who's there? Who's there? Who was there? Who was there? Like, if you want to talk about her dad coming or not, like, just bring it up yourself. Be like, hey, Aubrey, we need to talk about that. Can you come sit down for a second before you go? Uh, I just want to talk to you about tonight. I'm really excited. And, you know, your dad may be there. I know you really want your dad to be there. And we hope that he will be. But if he's not, it's okay. I don't really know exactly how the conversation would go. But, like, if you want to have that conversation, have the conversation and be the one that leads it. Don't, like get Aubrey to bring it up. (laughs) This is what I mean by Chelsea being immature, and she's always been immature, and she probably still is immature. And it's in situations like that, where she, she refuses to, like, take ownership of Aubrey's feelings and, like, what's going on with Aubrey. 
ownership of Aubrey's feelings. That's not a bad, that's not a good sentence. What I mean by this is like, and she does it later in this episode and she's always doing it, like, she refuses to be the one in charge of Aubrey's life sometimes, I feel like. I think maybe she does it as like a reaction to Adam because she doesn't like, and probably also the internet, like she doesn't like being accused of speaking for Aubrey. So she like does this thing where she like coaxes it out of Aubrey. But at the same time, it's like you're her mother. You're allowed to speak for her to a certain extent. You're the adult. Like, it's okay if you're the one that brings up Adam. It's okay for you to talk to her about Adam. If you want to talk about Adam possibly being there or not, talk about Adam possibly being there or not. Don't make Aubrey be the one that shares that. So they go to the graduation, and, of course, they do not speak to one another. Uh, Adam shows up with... I was very confused with who Adam showed up with. I did not see a Chiron there. I thought it was his friend, but the man walked in, like, behind Adam... And it looked like just the two of them walked in. And then suddenly the man was holding a baby. And I was like, whose fucking baby is that? And where did he come from? What is going on? So I'm not sure if that was maybe like Adam's brother and like his brother's family came as well, which would make total sense, right? Because we know the Lynns are very involved in Aubrey's life. And it would make total sense if Grandma Donna, Grandpa uncle, whatever his name is, aunt, whatever her name is, cousin there. Maybe it was Paisley. Could that have been baby Paisley? But but I don't know where she came from is what I'm saying. Suddenly there was a baby that this friend was holding. It's a very cute little graduation. They all wear their little gowns. Cute, cute, cute. It's a cute moment. Happy for them all. The thing with Chelsea that I find to be hard to sympathize with is that all she does is bitch about Adam not being there. And then when Adam shows up, she's mad that he's there. (laughs) She's so mad that he showed up to this thing. But if he didn't show up, you know, she'd be so mad about it, too. I think that's probably just like normal human emotion where you like want Adam to be there because you want that for your child. But as far as like you just hate seeing him, I guess that's what it is. But it's so weird. It's this thing that she does that I I don't get. She does it the whole series. So the episode ends with her going to lunch with Landon, Aubrey, and another one of their friends that I didn't recognize. I think her name was like Callie. And they're talking about Cole and how he's going to move in. And Chelsea's like, can I tell them? They're sitting in a booth, the four of them. Like they are in I can't emphasize enough how tight the quarters are in. She goes, can I tell them, Aubrey? Can I Can I tell them? And I'm like, how does Aubrey even know, like, what, Asky, what Chelsea is asking to say? But she goes, Aubrey said that when Cole moves in, she wants to call Cole dad. And you know why? Because she said Cole is how dads are supposed to act. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. That's just how Cole said it. Her friend also does the thing of like, who was there? Who was there? Who was there? She's like, do you get to see your little sister? And Aubrey's like, well, sometimes. And Chelsea starts whispering about the graduation. There's Aubrey is not put in headphones. They are all sitting at the same table in the same booth. And Chelsea's like, and then ADAM said I didn't tell him, but like I did. And then he didn't even cut like. <laughs> It's so fucking stupid the way that she does this. It's like, talk about him or not, you know? Um, 
she says, you know, Aubrey thinks that Cole's a better dad than Adam. But, like, I don't tell her to say that. I don't tell her to say that. But, you know, when Adam's been to jail and then little Aubrey goes, twice. He's been twice. (laughs) And Chelsea's like, see, see, I don't bring it up. I'm like, you just, you brought up this whole fucking conversation. What are you talking about? (laughs) Chelsea's like, Aubrey, do you think Cole's like an incredible dad? And Aubrey's like, yeah. And she's like, do you want to like call Cole daddy? And she'll be like, yeah. And she's like, why do you want to call him dad? And Aubrey will be like, because I love him like a dad. And Chelsea will be like, oh my God, you will not believe what Aubrey brought up the other day. Aubrey said that she loves Cole like a dad. I didn't even tell her to say that. Like she said it. Oh, goodness, goodness gracious. I loved watching this because, like, this was kind of the fun period of Chelsea and Cole where we could still criticize Chelsea for having this guy too involved. We still have the Adam drama. We have not moved to, like, duller than watching paint drive. Drive? (laughs) Duller than watching paint dry Chelsea and Adam. Chelsea and Cole. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay, let's talk about Kale next. So, basically, Joe has moved to Delaware into Kale's development, which she's not happy with, which is, like, of course, Queen Petty. Considering that they had to take little Isaac almost every weekend, two to three hours away, and then pick him up a few days later, one would think Kale would be thrilled about this. But instead, she's mad that Joe lives so close to her in her development. The real issue is that she's scared that Joe is going to want to change the custody agreement or try and, like, switch things up. It's all about control for Kale. She says multiple times, I don't want Joe just stopping by and thinking he can have Isaac whenever he wants. And I don't want him thinking he can get 50-50. And, yeah, I think she liked Isaac having to go all the way to New Jersey to see his dad because that meant his dad couldn't reasonably ask for more time, right? Like, Joe couldn't ask for 50-50 when he lived three hours away. Now that he lives next door, essentially, he can ask for 50-50. It's also obvious Kale will never care about the interests of her children over her own selfish interests, which is sad. I mean, I guess never say never. But I do think that, like, that is going to be an issue for her for her entire life, She is just so self-centered and, like, so broken in many ways that she's unable to, like, step back. Her first instinct is always, like, how does this affect me? Like, what, what does this do for me? Always me, 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 me. And she can't take a second to be, like, actually, this is good. It's okay if Joe asks for more time. We'll figure it out when it happens. I hope he doesn't, and I'm a little worried about it. But this is so good for Isaac. I'm so happy that we don't have to drive him back and forth all of the time. But no, it's about the issues. Uh, There's even a scene of they show how close Joe is living that Javi goes over to help him move and rides this little dirt bike (laughs) that they have for Isaac that's a five-year-old size. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, So it's not much happens in their first episode, but in their second episode... We find out that Javi is coaching Isaac's soccer team and we get a clip of them at the game. Kale is unhinged. It's so hard to watch this, 
First of all, I want to remind everyone Isaac is four. Well, I guess he's five. He's either five or turning five in this scene. He has not gone to kindergarten yet. These are toddlers that are playing this soccer game. Like, it's babies that are playing this soccer game. Kale is on the sidelines screaming, Kick the ball, Isaac! Pay attention! Screaming. At one point, she's, like, standing on the field screaming at him to kick the ball and then walks away and goes, I give up. I give up. I give up. Kill. he's five. He's he's not even in kindergarten yet. You're watching toddlers play soccer. They don't even know what goal they're supposed to kick the ball into, honey. It is. It's not surprising to me that she's always going on and on and on about Lincoln and his football and how much she loves that hobby is like obsessed with the football. I think she really loves being like a sports mom. And Isaac not being into sports really disappointed her, I think. Joe and V are also at the game, and they're just laughing. They find Kale ridiculous. They're like, "Eh, I don't think Isaac's going to be a sports person. (laughs) It's so funny watching them contrasted with Kale, who's like truly having a hissy fit on the side. If I was there, I would be like, why is this woman screaming at her child? Does she know that they're five years old? Like, can she stop? She's ruining my child. Like, I would be actually annoyed if somebody was acting like that at my five-year-old soccer game. I'd be like, you're stressing my kid out. Like, I need you to stop. (laughs) Like, this is not a serious game. There are no repercussions for them not winning. It's actually okay if all of the kids decide to just score on one goal the whole time. It's okay. Oh, my God. She's out of her mind. And then we get a scene where... Joe comes over to the house. It's just Kale and Joe. And they talk about like custody and child support. And they have a really reasonable conversation. They sit outside on the porch. And Joe is like, I I don't want to do six weeks on, six weeks off. Well, actually, I think Kale says that. And Joe is like, oh, thank God. Joe says it was really hard because like it took him quite a while to adjust to Isaac being there every single day, which I'm sure it did. He's used to only having Isaac's on, Isaac on the weekends and to have a kid there every single day is like such a huge difference. And he's like, and then as soon as we got used to it, he left. And I think that makes total sense. They're just going to keep their regular custody schedule throughout the summer. Um, Kale's like, well, maybe we can examine you having more time. Kale really wants Isaac to be in one home during the week, which I get. I mean, we all know that eventually they go week on week off. I'm not sure I'm cur- I'll be curious to see in the future, like, what the studies say about kids who did week on week off, because theoretically, it should be good, right? It's good for a child to have such a full relationship with both parents, but it also seems hard to me. I had a friend in high school who did week on week off, and I I felt like she was always having these issues of, like, shit was at her dad's house when she needed it at her mom's house, and... I don't know. I'll be curious to see. I mean, I'm sure they've already done some studies, but like long-term studies in 15 years with these kids when they're like in their 20s and 30s, what these week-on, week-off schedules did and if that's really in the best interest of the child. I'd guess it probably is. And if it's all you know, it's all you know. But it does it does feel like a lot to not have one place where you stay the majority of the school time. But at the same time, it's, you know, there are consequences to having parents that aren't together that can't be avoided. And one of them is that you're going to have two homes. Actually, in this scene, Joe says something like, 
you know, Isaac always will say to me, like, I have two families and I don't want him to feel that way because they're talking about like how nice it was that they were all at the soccer game. And Kale goes, well, he does have two families. He has two families. He has me and Javi and Lincoln. And, you know, you and V are going to have your baby. And like, that's going to have nothing to do with me, Javi and Lincoln. So like, he has two families. It's like, Joe bit his tongue there, which was probably the right thing to do. But what he was trying to say was like, I want Isaac to feel like we're one big family, which should be possible theoretically for Joe and Kale. I understand that that's truly not possible for all divorce situations. Like when there's abuse and a parent that's like totally unwilling to co-parent, that is not possible, right? Like there are situations where it is not, there are two very divided families, but in a situation like Joe and Kay, like who get along pretty well, especially at this point, like they don't have major dramas. They should be able to get along pretty well. It's not unreasonable for Joe to have a goal that Isaac feels like he has one big family. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I have one family. I may have parents at two different places, but I do feel like we just have one family. Um, It's, I think, you know, I love a blended family. You know, I love, you know, I love that. But Kale being like, he has two families. It's like, oh my God. Uh, Kale says that she wants to readjust child support. And Joe is like, which I don't, I don't love when the child support paying parent does this, where they're like, you know, I am totally fine to discuss expenses and like we can come up with a plan, but I don't want to go to court because they don't want it to be like, I get it. There are real consequences like not paying child support. And I can understand being like, I want us to just like to decide this outside of court. It just always feels a little bit like you're trying to avoid like full responsibility. But Kale says that what Joe is paying is I'm putting a dent in Isaac's expenses, which I can believe. Um, oh, also in this episode, Kale and Javi start talking about like looking for a bigger house because, you know, as soon as as soon as Javi moved into the neighborhood, Kale had to move out of it, which is not a huge deal. They were staying in Dover. They're so close to one another. So at the end of the episode, Kale and Javi are riding in the car and Kale's like, you know, Joe came over today and we talked about the summer schedule and she's kind of explaining what happened and Javi goes, wait, you're going to, like, you're going to talk about this tomorrow? And Kale's like, no, we talked about it today. He came over this morning. And Javi's like, he came to my house. And Kale's like, what? Like, you can tell this is so off guard. I felt so bad for Kale here. I actually found Kale, like, unbearable throughout these two episodes. And then watching this scene, I was like, oh, my God, Javi is such a fucking monster. Javi is terrible. I, it's easy to forget how controlling and awful Javi is. And there is truly no excuse for his behavior here. I don't care if, care if Kale was fucking the whole street at this point. You know, like it, it, it is so unacceptable the way that he's behaving. So and remember, like in the last episode, Javi is helping Joe move. Like they just were at soccer together and everybody got along. Like as far as Kale knows, like everything is fine. And I also think that they're having like a, a major cultural difference here. And I think that they have this throughout their whole episode where Javi's expecting to be in this really like traditional marriage of like, I am the man and I'm in charge and you're the woman and you're meek, which is so silly because like, why would you marry Kale of all people if you wanted to be in a traditional relationship with a meek woman? Like, marrying Kale makes 
truly zero sense. I will say if there's one thing about Kale is that she's never hidden who she is. She's never pretended to be something that she's not. And she never pretended with Javi to be some like subservient and obedient wife. Like she has never, ever, ever taken that role. So when Javi just will like pull these out of nowhere, this like super controlling I'm the head of the house thing. I really feel for Kale. Ugh, it's just, this was hard to watch. So Kale, first of all, you can tell that Kale is so caught off guard by this because she wouldn't have brought it up the way that she did. She brings this up so casually. She is expecting this to be no issue. She's fully transparent with what happened. Like, she's just explaining the story. Like, you can so tell that Kale thought this would just be a normal conversation. She was not trying to hide anything. She's like, oh, let me tell my husband about the conversation that I had today. And when Javi starts going in, she's like, wait, what? It it truly takes her like a minute to catch up with what Javi's even demanding of her. Javi's like, well, he can't come to my house. You should have taken a walk. And Kale's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean he can't come to the house? And Javi's like, when I'm not there, no man can come into my house. And Kale goes, he didn't even come into the house. We sat on the porch. And like another thing she's not saying because I haven't broken the fourth wall yet is like, we filmed a scene. <laughs> like <laughs> MTV was there. Like no cheating was going on. This was filmed for TV. You can watch it yourself. This was totally fine. He just swung by the house because it was a convenient place to talk. Javi's like, you should have taken a walk around the neighborhood. No man can come to my house when I'm not there. Like he keeps repeating that. And Kale's like, what are you talking about? At one point, she's like, it's my house too. And he's like, exactly, exactly. So it's my house. First of all, they bought that house. I would guess they use Javi's low interest VA loan. Like, Javi gets government benefits for, he's, like, fooling the Air Force at this point. So, I'm sure they were able to, like, get the no interest mortgage or whatever it is that's available to him. But, like, I'm sure that down payment was paid for by MTV and Kale's money. Like, get the fuck out of here, Javi. Get out of here. What? When he, I gasped, I forgot how bad this scene was. And it's just such a reminder of like, first of all, how truly awful they are together. I talked about this last week. Like they so wanted different things in a marriage, but how controlling Javi is in a really like disconcerting way. It comes out of fucking nowhere. Kale's like, I don't know why you're upset. I don't understand what we're fighting about. Javi's like, you need to like guarantee me that there will be no men in the house when I'm not there. And Kale's like, I can't guarantee, like, I won't agree to this. I don't, I don't know what you're asking me to agree to. I won't agree to it. Javi's just, he's being such, he's such a dick. He's such, such, such a dick. And Kale's like, I don't even get why we're fighting. It was really a hard to watch scene. Oh God, Javi's the worst. The absolute worst. All right, let's go on to Janelli, who, as I said earlier, her and Nate have broken up, kind of. He got arrested for domestic violence. There is the restraining order existing at the time. So even though they're still talking, he's not coming to the house. She's in that big house alone. I kind of forgot that big house that they lived in, like when she was living a very like suburban life. So her friend Krista comes over and Janelle is insisting that Nate has never abused her. He's never physically cheated on her. And he's, she says, I needed to, I need to see a dramatic change. Not here you're going to make a dramatic change, but actually make the dramatic change. 
Oh, I forgot about her love of the use Germastic and Germastically. <laughs> so classic. She's like, I just don't want Kaiser to see us apart. You know, for the last year of his life, every day he sees me and his dad together. Now he's not going to see us together. And her friend's like, that. you can't stay with him because of that. And she's like, oh, well, no, no, no. It's not because of that. I want to be with him, too. Janelle will soon have mediation with Barbara with the court for court for Jace because at this point Barbara and Janelle cannot agree on a visitation schedule for Jace. I actually think that Janelle was in the right with going to court. Um, do I think that she should have been like trying to get full custody? I'm not even sure she was, to be honest. I don't think that she really was. I think that she was saying that, but I don't think she really was. But she's right that, like, Barbara would decide when Jace could and could not come over there based on whatever mood Barbara was in. And that wasn't good for either of them. And I really do think having the court-ordered visitation schedule was, like, very good for their relationship. I understand on Barb's side, like, not wanting to give up that control because... I think Barb sometimes held Jace back because she was mad at Janelle, but also sometimes because she did not feel like it was a very safe place for Jace to be going. And I would imagine it's, like, really hard to lose the ability to say no, but I do think, like, having the schedule they have to agree to and kind of taking that emotion out of it was good for Jace's sake, for Janelle's sake, and for Barbara's sake. So Janelle meets with her lawyer and the lawyer is like explaining what's going to happen in mediation because they have to see the mediator before it could go to court. I do believe they don't come to an agreement in mediation and then last minute, I'm trying to remember what happens, last minute Barbara agrees not to go to court basically because she knows if they go to court, Janelle's going to do really poorly in front of the judge. So Barbara comes over after she meets with the attorney. Well, the lawyer brings up Nate's arrest and Janelle's like, well, you know, it just went exactly how I told you. There's no domestic violence. Girl, come on. Barbara comes over and she's just like, you know, I just, I really worry for you. I was with this abusive man for a long time. She's talking about Janelle's father. And I stayed with him and took all of those beatings because... Like, I wanted to get my credit up so that when I left, we could have this house and wouldn't have to live, as Barb calls it, in the projects. Now, I think that's a totally understandable reason for staying in an abusive relationship. I mean, she had three little kids. It makes total sense that you want to wait until you can leave and be in a safe place. Barbara admits, though, like, she's not sure if she made the right choice. Like, she says, like, did I make the right choice? I don't know. I think that Barbara doesn't do enough recognizing, like, the serious trauma that was for Janelle her watching her mother get beat and living with an abuser and then having to leave him and then the dad kind of drops out of their life. I feel for Janelle. I'll be honest, like, Janelle was crying a lot in these episodes in a way that made me feel really sad because it was all very, like, desperate for love crying. It was all very, I just want you to love me. I just want you to love me. I just want you to be with me. I just, I need to be with you. Is from such a place of desperation. It wasn't manipulative, I don't think. 
Um, I'm sure. Well, there. I'm sure there is a manipulative aspect. I don't think it was like consciously manipulative when Janelle was crying throughout these episodes. I think she just is like so fucked up and has so much trauma that she like truly cannot handle the idea of being broken up with, and it really sends her spiraling in a way that's sad and genuinely hard to watch. Um, Janelle is like, I. We just need to go to court because. I need to be able to have Jace when I want to have him, basically. And you keep him from me when you're mad. And Barbara's like, it's not that. I just, I worry so much about you and Nate. And she's like, I just don't trust Nate. And Janelle's like, well, I'm not sure if I trust him either. After she was, like, going on to Barbara about how she's going to be with Nate, she's like, well, I just, I don't know if I trust him either. <laughs> ay ay ay. And Barbara starts to cry because she's like, you know, Nate hates me and he's always hated me. What's going to happen when you and Nate get back together? Which, fair point to an extent. Oh, God, Barb. They're so fucked up. The two, all, well, Nate too. But Barb and Janelle are just so fucked up. So at the end of the episode, Nate texts her and says that they should see other people. And Janelle is just so upset. And they have a fight on the phone. Not even a fight, but like Janelle just like begging Nate to be with her. And this is what I mean by like, it just being sad because Janelle's like, I just want you. I just want you. I only want to be with you. It's, it's hard to watch someone get dumped like that. And also Nate is like such a fucking asshole. Nate is such a bad person. Is like, I'm not defending Janelle because Nate and Janelle should not have been together, right? Like they were not a good couple. But Nate would say things like, I love you so much, but we're so toxic together. And like, I hope down the line we can back, get back together, but, like, he's in a relationship with someone else. So why are you telling Janelle that hopefully down the line you can get back together? It's just fucked up. Um, in the next, in the second episode, all of Nate's charges are dropped, but he still just does not want to be with Janelle. She meets her friend Krista, and they're talking about the pros and cons of being with Nate. And, like, this is how fucked up Janelle is. She's like, I want to be with him, I want to be with him, I want to be with him. And then her friend is like, well, what are the pros and cons? And she goes, well, the cons are he's mean to me. He's verbally abusive. He's controlling. He puts me down. He calls me trash. He says I'm classless. Janelle, do you hear yourself, girl? (laughs) No, the answer is no. She does not hear herself. She knows these things to be true, but she fucking hates herself more than any of us hate Janelle. That's the thing about Janelle. She hates herself more than any of us do. That's why, like, I can never... I think Janelle is, like, a piece of shit. Like, truly, I think she is a racist piece of shit. You guys know that I don't really engage with any of her content anymore because it just... It doesn't bring me any sort of satisfaction. I just find her to be so despicable as a person. But, like, Janelle hates herself. It's not... She she doesn't like herself and she's not happy like she's truly fucking miserable which is I think part of the reason that I find her so sad right like despite her being a despicable person I'm just like uh, I I think that I don't feel so much anger towards her I guess because like I just know how much she fucking hates herself I just think that she's awful I think she's just so awful oh god She's been, like, really going hard on the I'm not a racist thing recently, which is just, you're a racist, Janelle. You're a piece of shit. By the way, I wanted to mention this. Somebody um, had sent me a message that a listener that's in Ottawa, and I don't know if you guys have been following this. I've been kind of vaguely following it, 
But Ottawa is having these really scary protests right now by truckers that are protesting the vaccine mandate that is like fully, I mean, not turned into because it's always been a part of this anti-vax movement, this like total white supremacist, terrifying, scary thing. She asked me to post the link to a change.org petition um, asking the police to get involved to remove these truckers and uh, you should look into that. I don't quite know the position of the Ottawa police, so I don't want to, like, fully endorse that because I just don't know Canadian police politics, so I know United States police politics. But, like, if you are not aware of what's going on, you should be looking into it because it's really scary and it definitely correlates with the anti-vax movement in the United States. I know Australia is also having this issue. I'm sure other places as well. And we just need to be aware of white supremacists that are really infiltrating a lot of like very public spaces. And I hope for Ottawans, is that how you would say it? Ottawans' sake that these fucking monsters get thrown out soon enough. So that's my spiel on that. Also, Christine from Simply Logical, uh, like a nail YouTuber, has been posting about this because she lives in Ottawa and she's taken a really strong stance against it and has donated money to uh, like healthcare workers. Like I think I just saw the other day she donated $3,000 for healthcare workers to get some food on their shifts because they're having to deal with this and just fucking the way that these and I like it made me think of this because Janelle is part of this like white supremacist anti-vax movement. I'm not saying every single anti-vaxxer is white supremacist, but I'm saying like these movements have become really intertwined in a way that's like really scary to me. And like we need to be calling out white supremacy at every chance we can get. So I'm all for people who are calling out Janelle as racist. I just don't want to engage with her content and I think that if that's what I was doing, like every episode of this podcast would have to be me spending 20 minutes, like, reading all of Janelle's bullshit, which I just don't want to do. Um, with all of that said, watching her cry is, it's just sad because you know that she's such a, a fucked up person, right? Like, it's sad to watch somebody that has, like, serious issues really breaking down. It's the same way I feel about Amber sometimes. Um, Kale, not so much because I don't think Kale shows this level of vulnerability, but I would say Amber and Janelle are kind of the main two on Teen Mom franchise that do this, where they're a bad person, they're an abuser, uh, they're a piece of shit in many, many ways, but you know that they have serious issues. And so watching them, like, you know that they don't have any control over their actions in these moments where they're losing their minds of just, like, hurt and desperation. And that's, like, hard to watch. I think it's also that... Not the other rest stuff, but that specific, like, desperate begging to be with somebody that's so awful, like, is relatable to old me. And before I got help for myself, I think I was very much like that, where I was just, like, so fearful of abandonment and being alone that I just, like, clung to this terrible person. So that's just me projecting my shit onto Janelle, I think. <laughs> in Family Reunion this week, Amber brings up her sister that died in... First of all, they do this, like, inner child activity, and I was like, this is not safe for Amber. Like, this is not... Amber has really serious mental health issues, and, like, bringing her into this room and, like, asking her to talk about inner child trauma, this is not a safe place to be doing it. Like, part of trauma-informed care is being aware of, like, 
when you're asking people to share their trauma and like what type of space you have and do you have the ability to like really walk somebody through this and like help get them through this safely and I do not believe Team Mom Family Reunion is a safe place to do that. <laughs> oh yeah 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 Also Macy's really still peddling this she got pregnant the first time she had sex thing and I'm just not sure I ever believed that. Not that I think Macy was having like a ton of sex, but I just I don't know. I don't know. The very first time I know it's possible. I'm just not sure that I believe Macy. I think that's a nice story for Macy to tell. And I also think that Macy, when she was doing her uh, pro-abstinence speaking tours, because never forget, she used to be a paid speaker for that, like, Candies Foundation that Bristol Palin was involved in, where they went around the country and talked about pro-abstinence movements. Like, I think that I had got pregnant on the first time I had sex, like, really fit well into that. And so I think it's just become Macy's story, to be honest. Okay. So this episode kind of wraps up with Nate and Janelle having a fight over who's going to have to take care of Kaiser. Basically, Nate has Kaiser and Janelle had told him, like, I'll probably come get him later, according to Janelle. She said probably. So she's pulling out of, like, her neighborhood and Nate is pulling in. And so he starts following her in his truck and, like, repeatedly calling her, repeatedly calling her. And she's like, I told you I probably would. And he's like, it's my time to go to the gym. You know, my gym time is me time. (laughs) Oh, God. This is Janelle screaming about I've not touched another man's skin for two years. At one point. Oh, those are two different fights. But she does say that. At one point, uh, Nate says, you should just give me custody of Kaiser. Like, oh, my God. They're basically both just screaming that they don't want to take care of the baby. And it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. Oh, gosh, Janelle and Nate. Okay. On to Leah. Let's bring it on home with Leah, who had quite an epic two episodes. So MTV, I guess, has offered treatment to Leah, and she has decided to accept it. But it's a process. She says her mom's going to watch Addie and she's going to have Corey watch the girls, which makes total sense. That's her father. Remember, this is pre-Corey getting, like, primary custody of them. I think it's important to remember, like, all of that happens after she went to rehab. The TR dues of it all, Allie or Gracie telling Allie on camera, I cannot speak, Gracie telling Leah on camera that they don't trust her. When Jeremy and Corey got together to talk about that may have actually happened beforehand. I don't remember. But like a majority of the shit that we see go down with Leah actually happens after rehab, which I think a lot of people forget because Leah has pretty expertly reframed her story. Here's my thing. I've seen a lot of people online argue that Leah doesn't owe anybody her story and I don't disagree with that. Like, I first of all, I hate when we talk about, like, owing when we're talking about reality TV stars or influencers or YouTuber people, like, whatever. I hate when we say they, they don't owe us anything. And it's like, well, no shit, right? Like, no shit. They don't owe us that. I'm not demanding that Leah come out and, like, give me a play-by-play of every day of her addiction. My thing is, if you don't want to tell the true story, don't tell the story at all. 
And because Leah was on reality TV, she does not have that option. She put the story on TV. So tell the truth about it now after the fact. And even beyond that, like, if she doesn't want to tell the true story, then just be like, I went through a hard time, I got help, and I'm better now, which is what she was doing for a long time, right? It wasn't the true story drove me nuts because she wouldn't admit the truth, but at least, like, she consistently stuck to that. This whole thing that she's doing now where she's being real and telling the whole truth and being vulnerable but lying just drives me up a fucking wall don't put out a fucking book where you're telling the whole truth and then like a month after the book comes out tell a whole different story and she's always changing her story and she's not being truthful and my thing is it's like leah doesn't owe us her story but if she wants to profit off her story which she very much does by releasing a book about her addiction and continuously talking about it on her television show then she should be telling the true story just like I want any of the moms to tell the true story I see people all the time like you can't make addicts share the whole truth and I don't know I just I don't have empathy for somebody who gets sober and then continuously lies about their like the time they use in their sobriety. I mean, it gets sober. Uh, it's a whole thing to use a word. Enters recovery. We'll, we'll say Leah is in recovery. I just, I don't, I think as somebody that is honest about my past, it extra drives me nuts because it's like, just be truthful. If you have genuinely changed yourself, then you should be okay with just telling the truth. And I'm not saying she needs to share every nitty gritty detail. It's not that, but, like, tell the fucking truth that you went to treatment, then you came home and you were still getting high for quite a while. Just tell the fucking truth. Tell the truth about it. It's okay. Like, it makes total sense that that happens. So many people that happens to. Right? Like, that's so common. And she still, like, won't own up to it. And it it just drives me up a wall. So, this episode is very much when Leah was still trying to spin that she had no issues with drugs at all. So she goes to meet up with Corey Miranda because Corey Miranda are still, like, fully filming at this point. I believe it's after the season that Miranda totally stops filming, um, which this is the season that they have the monkey reunion. Um, and this is the season where it kind of all comes out that, I mean, not on the show so much, but, like, online that it comes out that Corey and Leah had slept together very early in Corey Miranda's marriage, which is... <sighs> Miranda girl, what are you doing? But I I get why Miranda wanted to come off the show because watching this scene, I was like, they make Corey Miranda look really harsh here. And I don't think it's really fair because Corey Miranda were needed to be harsh. Somebody needed to be harsh with Leah. Leah wasn't being fucking honest. And like they say this over like they can't help Leah if Leah won't admit what's going on. So Leah's like, well, I'm going to go to this therapy out of facility it's out of state and it's like a little more intense therapy and Corey straight up is like so it's not rehab and then he goes oh no 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 it's nothing bad and Corey's like so where did this come from like there's a room you're getting divorced like is that all true and Miranda asks Leah are you going to be better if you go to treatment and Leah's like yeah you know I want to be a better mom I just want to do better and this is like where Miranda doesn't come off very well, but I think it's so unfair that Miranda gets no grace here from the audience. Like, Miranda is the one that is raising Allie 
and Gracie by all accounts, right? Like, I'm not saying that Corey doesn't raise his own children, but let's be realistic. Like, Miranda is the stay-at-home parent. Miranda is, I think they have a pretty traditional marriage. We know that while Corey is hands-on, like, I think it's safe to assume that Miranda is the primary caregiver of these twins. And Miranda in this scene is not great, but, like, I can't imagine how fucking frustrating it is that you're raising someone's children and they won't be straight about what's going on in their life, right? So Leah's like, well, yeah, you know, I just want to be a better mother. I need to get better. And Miranda's like, so you're owning up to the fact that you haven't been the best person for your kids? (laughs) Which wasn't great, right? Like, it just doesn't come across very well on camera. It really doesn't. And I can see why she got a lot of shit for this online. And the thing is, like, even in Leah's worst moments, she always kind of comes across as the broken bird. And, like, just even, like, physically watching this, like, Leah is, like, 90 pounds soaking wet. Like, she just looks so little. And she's using this little voice. And Miranda, who just doesn't look like that. So it looks like this, like, healthy person is bullying this sick person, essentially. It's visually not great for Miranda. I mean, Miranda's totally right, correct? Like, Leah's coming there to ask Miranda to watch her kids for a month, and Miranda just wants her to admit that, like, you've been a fuck-up. But I think the issue is, is that Corey and Miranda think that if Leah admits this, then, like, something will change, and I don't really think that's the case. I also think, like, when you are in a drug addicts orbit like you're constantly being gaslit like constantly right like addicts are really good at gaslighting those around them and to have like somebody look you in the face and be like I'm totally fine I just need to like go to therapy for a month but like don't worry there are no issues yeah I need to get better like I can see why Miranda is like I just want to hear her say the truth and Leah's like well, I this is when the conversation really turns. Leah's like, you know, I'm not going to say I was a bad mom. I deal with more than you would know. And Corey cuts her off and he's like, we understand what we deal with. We're asking if there's something that you take to deal with it. And this is really the first time that they've like head on addressed that Leah is taking pills. They've done the scenes of her, the dying the baby's head episode. They've done the scenes of her like you know, saying that the Xanax or whatever, the anti-anxiety medicine, whatever they're calling it, makes her feel like a damn druggie. They've skirted around it, but nobody has looked Leah in the face, to my memory, and said, you're a drug addict. Like, you have a problem with drugs. And so, honestly, like, watching that, I remember feeling very cathartic because you guys know I'm like, and now we, and now we said it type of bitch. And it's like, what, I've been loving about Sister Wives that, like, we're finally saying we fucking hate each other and we don't want to be in a polygamous marriage. And Cody's finally owning up to the fact that he doesn't love any of his wives but Robin. Like, I love when I've been following a reality show for quite a while and something that is so obvious to me but is not being said on the show finally is said on the show. And so Corey being like, what do you take to deal with your life? Chef kiss. Perfect. Uh... Leah's like, no, no, there's, I, and Corey cuts her off and he's like, can you look at me and Miranda in the eyes and tell us there's no drug problem? And Leah says there isn't a drug problem. And Corey says, I think I know that there's a drug problem. And I think you're afraid to tell me. The first step is to admit there's a problem. 
I can't remember if Jeremy and Corey had already had their little meeting where they admit that Lee is addicted to drugs at this point and or the pill problem, whatever they were saying. I can't. I really can't remember. I was going to look for my remote to like read episode descriptions, but my remote is not within hand reach, so that won't happen. But this is, to my memory, the first time, like, head on somebody's like, Leah, you're addicted to drugs. And Corey, I mean, I really actually quite appreciate Corey Miranda here. I think they could have been so much harsher. The fact that she came to them was lying to their faces still, still. And they were really calm with her, but they were living in reality. And did Miranda need to say, like, so you're admitting that you weren't a great mother? Like, did she need to say that? Like, no, probably not. Um, I do remember seeing some criticism from Miranda being there at all. But like I said, I I think once, once somebody is married to the parent and is, like, a primary caregiver of those children, then they get to have a seat at the table in most relation, like, in most families. I do think that there are some families in which the set parents are pretty hands-off, and it would not be appropriate for them to be involved in this conversation. But I think it very much is appropriate in this case for Miranda to be part of this conversation. And I don't blame Corey for just straight up saying it on camera. And Leah's... (laughs) Leah's not, she's not pleased. She's not pleased by this. She's like, shame on you. Shame on you, Corey, for saying that. And he's like, shame on me? Are you kidding me? Corey Miranda could have been so much meaner here. Throughout this whole season, I think that Corey Miranda are very tactful with what they say on camera, which is why I was like extra annoyed that reunion last year, whenever that was, where, uh, Leah was still saying that, like, Corey didn't give her enough support and then talking shit on Miranda. Or Jeremy was talking shit on Miranda, whatever they were doing. Corey and Miranda could have got on camera in front of Leah and also not in front of Leah. And been like, Leah's a fucking junkie. She's abusing pills. She's driving around with the kids high. I'm telling the lawyer all of this. Like, they could have said so much worse and they didn't. They really didn't. They constantly would say things like she's just not doing great we want her to get better for the girls they were really supportive of her going to treatment they were agreeing to watch the girls for a month they weren't threatening to go to lawyers they were really supportive of her and leah though is just not in a place where she can be honest and i don't blame Corey miranda for wanting her to be honest um then we get the next scene is the one where leah goes to her brothers and is holding her little four-month-old niece, I maybe not even, maybe two-month-old niece. Like, this baby's, like, right out of a newborn stage, like, but a baby, baby, baby. And Leah's holding the baby, and she's talking to her brother, and she's fully nodding out while she's holding the baby. Her head is dropping, and she's actively trying to keep her head up during the conversation, and she's trying to explain, like, going to treatment, and she just, like, nods out. And her brother's like, Leah? Leah and like somebody another adult like steps in and takes the baby away god got really bad on camera (laughs) really really bad so Miranda and Corey do a little recap the next day and they they seem surprised I think that I think that Leah like calling them for a meeting 
I think they thought that Leah would be like, I'm going to rehab. I, I have problems. I need to go get help. And I think they're confused with where Leah is in her process, which I understand because they're like, she's admitting that there's some sort of problem and that she needs to go to therapy and needs to go to a treatment facility, but like won't admit that she's a drug addict. And Corey says, she doesn't have a drug problem, then what's the problem? Why is she going to treatment? You're going to therapy? What, to learn how to clean your house? <laughs> and I, like, I don't think he's saying, like, you either have a drug problem and that's why you go to therapy or you don't and therapy's bullshit. Like, I don't think he's saying that. He's just saying the truth, right? Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense that Leah is just, like, randomly going to some treatment center unless she's a drug addict. And also, we know she's a fucking drug addict because... One, we have eyes and we see her. We know she's fucking high. She's smacked out of her mind when she comes to see us. And two, we hear because we live in a really small town. And if you don't remember at the time, like the gossip was going bananas. Like Leah had multiple people that were close to her that were just giving like full blown interviews with all of the tabloids that Ashley like every day would have like Leah's drug dealer speaks like full-blown Leah caught on the deer cam bringing Robbie into the house like everybody was talking truly like at least two or three times a week there would be news stories of people close to Leah talking about her drug addiction and not like vaguely talking about it being like Leah's addicted to Oxycontin like full-blown Leah's a drug addict so Corey knows he knows this to be a truth and He's like, I just, I don't get, like, why she won't be honest. She thinks that we believe all of her bullshit, which I think is true. I think that Leah, I think, I think that it's a combination of a Leah problem and a drug problem. I think Leah to this day uh, really thinks everybody believes her bullshit. I think it's why she continuously lies. Leah's a liar, which I've talked a lot about on this podcast. I don't think it gets called out enough and it's not just the drug addiction, right? Like, She'll get a boyfriend and move her kids in there and then be like, we're not living together. And her kids are like, we live. What are you talking about, girly? Like, we've lived with him for three months. Like, Leah lies about when she's back with Jeremy. She just she lies a lot. And I think she gets away with it partially because people want her to get away with it. People root for Leah. But she lies. And I think that she does think that people believe her bullshit. Because I think for the most part they do. And I think like being an active drug addiction just really heightened that. Like just skyrocketed that belief. Corey says the rumor around town is that she takes anything she can get her hands on. And he says she came high to the meeting last night. <laughs> and Miranda says it. And this is this is why I have a lot of grace for her during that meeting. Just wanting Lee to admit it. And everything that Corey and Miranda are doing. Miranda says, you know... We're the ones that have to deal with the girls that are dealing with the addiction. And that's the truth, right? Like, Miranda is the one, Corey too, but I, I really think that Miranda is the one that is, like, dealing with the emotional baggage of Leah. It must have been, he had already, I remember Leah getting confronted by Corey about Jeremy and her fighting and the girls locking themselves in the laundry room. Man, I need to rewatch all of this just for the Leah stuff. The Leah stuff was so interesting. And now we get like her weird after school specials. (laughs) 
But they're the ones that had to deal with the girls being in an unsafe place and coming home. And they've talked about how, like... Leah wouldn't have them on a schedule, doesn't have them eat any vegetables. And then they come to Corey Miranda's and they are misbehaving because they're being forced to be on a schedule. And then Corey Miranda have to be the bad guys. I can't imagine how hard that is as a co-parent to like just be on such different planets when it comes to like rules and expectations at people's homes. I think that like that friend I was talking about earlier that had a week on week off. I remember her dad being so fucking strict. And her mom was just like normal parent. And I was like, I really hate it when you're at your dad's. <laughs> He's so strict. He sucks. But I can't imagine how hard it is. I mean, I think once they get old, well, probably not even, but I can't imagine how hard it is to like spend all this time creating this schedule. And then they go to their other parent's house and they lose it. And then you have to deal with that every week. <laughs> like it's ever. oh, seems so frustrating. Really, I mean, this is why not just for relationship compatibility sake, but like why parenting compatibility is so it partner selection for the child, the parent of your child is so important because like you need to have if if it doesn't work, like I mean, if it works too, it's extremely hard to parent with somebody that just has totally different parenting expectations and ideals. But like co-parenting situation, like you want to be on at least like a similar page. Awful. Just awful. So Don and Leah are packing and getting ready to go. And they're talking about the Corey accusations. And Don says, my fear of you getting therapy is what already happened. It's all about the drugs. And it's not. It's not. People think it's about the drugs. And then Leah has this little monologue. And she says, I'm not going to lie to anyone. I have no reason to lie. I had the morphine in the hospital for the botched epidural. I got out of the hospital and I was prescribed hydrocodone and Percocet and Tylenol 3, which is crazy to leave with all three of those scripts. Fucking crazy. And when I was hurting so bad, I take a medication because I could get up and my back wasn't hurting. I came to you guys and told you guys I got this medication. I feel like I'm becoming dependent and I can't take this medication. And I stopped taking the medication. <laughs> Leah, you're going to rehab. Oh, my God. Dawn says, you know, I've told you, if I thought you were some major addict, I'd call Corey myself and tell him. Mm, would you, girly? Would you? Then Leah says, some people just don't know how much crap I've hidden in the past four years, and it's just drained the life out of me. There was just times I knew I was here, but I didn't know I was really here. I'm like, girl, what? What are you talking about? I mean, she's talking about being on TV and, like, how hard it's been to be on TV and, like, hide part of her life from TV. But she's not she's not all with it. Uh, the voiceover in the next scene, like, really made me laugh. She's like, I'm on my way to the airport. And earlier today, my mom picked up the divorce papers for my lawyer. <laughs> oh, gosh. And they have a sad moment all saying goodbye. I thought maybe bringing the girls wasn't the greatest idea. Um, they were flipped. They flipped. And I, I think that it probably would have just gone a lot smoother if they had just taken the girls to Corey's like they do every single week, as opposed to having like this big dramatic goodbye scene. That, that seemed like Allie was flipped and I understand why. So in the second episode, we see Leah in a hotel because she can't check into the treatment center until the next day. 
I'm not really sure why MTV or whoever had her fly out that far in advance, um, but they did. She's fucked up. And this is what I mean by it wasn't, like, triggering to me, but this scene in particular, like, was really, really sad because she just looked so fucked up. She looked so fucked up. And I was like, oh, gosh, I can only imagine how many pills she brought with her and just probably spent that 24 hours just, like, out of her skull. So Corey goes to get the girls from Dawn, and Dawn is like, okay, so what time should I pick them up? You know, for Mother's Day, I'm going to take them to see their mommy. And Corey's like, well, hold on, because remember, Corey has just agreed to watch a girls for a month. He knows Leah's going away for a month, but that's kind of all he knows. And he's like, well, where is Leah? Like, where are you going to take the girls? Because all he knows is that Leah's going to a facility in another state. And I think he hasn't pushed it at all because there's really no reason to, right? Like, that's Leah's business. I don't need to know where Leah's going. I don't need a phone number. I don't need the name. She just needs to go take care of herself. And I think she really believed that. He really believed that. I think he was, like, respecting her privacy there. And then Dawn is like, well, you know, Corey, I'm not going to disclose that. I'd rather not disclose that to you. And Corey's like, well, I'd rather my kids not go somewhere I don't know. It's a totally reasonable thing that Corey's saying. Corey's, he's so correct. The girls cannot get on a plane with Dawn and go fucking fly somewhere where he doesn't even know where they're going. That's crazy. It doesn't make any sense that they don't. It also doesn't make any sense they're not just telling Corey where Leah is. Like, there's no reason that Corey can't know. Are they scared that he's going to, like, fly to this facility and hit her or something? Like, I, I don't understand why they're not disclosing that. And this is just an example of Dawn being a terrible mother. We know from Leah's book that she is a terrible parent and enables Leah and always has enabled Leah. And, oh, gosh. So Dawn is like, but it's Mother's Day. It's Leah's time. And Corey's like, I have not heard shit about this from Leah. Basically, Corey's being so, his expectations are so reasonable that if Leah wants Dawn to get on a plane with these girls and come visit, then he needs to hear from Leah the plan, which is exactly right. (laughs) It's exactly right. Leah wouldn't let Corey do that, just take the girls on a plane without her knowing where they're going. She would never, because it's an unreasonable expectation. Um, They kind of like go back and forth and... Corey's like, I make the decisions for my kids, not Dawn. This is my decision, not Leah, because she's put the kids in my care. And, you know, he says something along the lines of like, Corey or Leah's the one that left the kids. The kids didn't leave her. Basically being like, Leah needs to go take care of herself and not worry about the kids right now. He's, I mean, it's not the nicest thing that he said, but he wasn't saying, like, Leah has abandoned her children. But, like, he's saying, like, Leah's gone. The kids don't need to be following her to where she's going. Like, it just, it doesn't need to happen. So Dawn calls up Leah and gets her in a fucking tizzy. She, he, she recaps the conversation and really emphasizes this point of, like, he said you left your kids. And she's like, you know, you'd think he'd be supporting you when you have medical issues. And it's like, he is supporting you. <laughs> he is supporting her. All he said was, they can't get on a plane if you won't tell me where they're going. And, like, like I said, did he need to say, like, Leah's the one that left the kids, the kids didn't leave her? No, he didn't need to say that. But 
it wasn't that big of a deal what he said. It really wasn't. And Dawn really emphasizes that to Leah, that line. So Leah gets all in a tizzy and she calls or texts her lawyer. And I'm, I would bet, I would bet what Leah says to her lawyer is Corey has accused me of abandoning the girls. Something along those lines. So Leah's lawyer is now also worried and all but all we hear is and I spoke to my lawyer and she's worried too. And so she calls her friend and she's like, I talked to my lawyer. By the way, she has her friend on the phone and um she's nodding out into the phone. So she's like setting off buttons because the phone is still like lit up and the the keypad is still up. And so she's like hitting the phone with her head and it's like beep. It's a mess. She's a fucking mess. <laughs> She's recapping the thing that her mom said and her lawyer said, and like really, really honing in on this Leah left the kids narrative. And her friends like, Corey's a snake in the grass. And Leah's lawyer gets her to this idea that Corey will be filing for abandonment and that he will get it. He'll get a ward. He'll file. Basically, Leah's lawyer's like, Corey's going to file an emergen- for an emergency hearing saying that you abandoned the children. And so he'll get full custody until we can, like, get into court to have a full hearing on it, which I guess is a possibility. But Corey has never even alluded to that. It's never been something that he suggested was going to happen. He he did not say anything like that to Dawn. I'm very curious what Leah said to the lawyer. The fact that Leah contacted the lawyer at all over this was escalating to a place that he didn't need to be. Leah should have called up Corey and had a fucking conversation with him. And like, hey, I just talked to my mom and she really wants to bring the kids to visit me. What do we need to do so that can happen? And all Corey would say is, can you just tell me where they're going and what like the plan is and what it will look like? And Leah would say, I'm going to a treatment center in Arizona. They'd be coming Friday through Sunday. Um, I would get to see them for four hours on Saturday and four hours on Sunday. It won't be like, or I don't know exactly what it looks like yet because I'm not in treatment, but like, we'll keep you in the loop. She just instead calls her lawyer and is like, Corey says that I've abandoned my children. So of course the lawyer, I mean, if she's not calling, you're not calling your divorce lawyer, family court attorney, just to chat, right? Like, when you contact the lawyer, the lawyer then responds with legal advice. So she contacts the lawyer and tells her, I'm assuming, some story of Corey saying that Leah has abandoned the children. So, of course, the lawyer is like, well, if Corey is saying that you abandoned the kids, then we need to be careful because Corey then could get in, like, get into court. He could, X, Y, and Z could happen. All the things I just explained. Like, and so we need to get an agreement drawn up agreeing that like Corey has primary care while you're out of state but then once you come back it will revert back to normal I don't understand why Leah couldn't do that remotely like there's no reason that that had Leah had to go to West Virginia to do this the lawyer's like you need to supposedly the lawyer says you need to come home tomorrow and deal with this which once again that doesn't really make sense to me I would imagine imagine the attorney said something along the lines of it would be much easier if you were here in person and you could just explain this to Corey and then Corey could sign and we wouldn't have to like get in front of the judge. And I just, I don't believe that the lawyer escalated this as quickly as Leo wants us to believe the lawyer escalated this. I just, I don't believe that to be true. So 
Leah decides that she's going to abandon treatment, essentially, for now, so she can fly home and get this in order. And Corey meets with his attorney and recaps it to his dad. And Corey is like, this is insane. I had no intention to do that. I have not spoken to Leah. I don't know why she thinks that we said this. And now she's home and it doesn't make any sense. And her dad's like, but didn't they like have a big goodbye with the girls? And Corey's like, yeah, it's fucking with their heads because I told the girls, OK, well, you're going to see your mom tomorrow. And they said, but mommy's with the doctor. Yeah, it's fucking with their heads. No shit, because you did this big dramatic goodbye and now you're just coming back. And if it was really about like just getting custody in order, wouldn't you think it would make sense? You fly in, you keep the girls at Corey's because you've already agreed that he, they're going to be there for a month. You get this settled as soon as possible and you fly back. And they're just, Corey's real mad at Dawn. He's like, Dawn just stepped in. She screwed with the girls. She screwed with Leah. It doesn't make any sense. So they have a drop off and Corey and Leah are talking about it. And Leah's like, well, I was just so scared and confused. And Corey's like, I'm not out to get you. Like, I don't understand why you're acting like I'm trying to take the kids. And Leah's like, well, all I knew was the statement that I left the kids and they didn't leave me. And Corey's like, Leah, I've wanted you to get better since day one. That's all I've wanted from you. I'm not attacking you. And this is not what's happening. So they basically agree on, like, a temporary parenting plan, and I guess in the next episode, Leah's going to go back to treatment. It's just, it's so sick what Dawn did, and it's so sick that then Leah escalated to the lawyer and that she would leave for treatment. I'm sure MTV was furious. <laughs> I don't remember her talking about this in the book, but, like, leaving then going back, but possibly she did. I'll never reread it, so I don't know, but I just wish that Leah, like, could look back at this time and talk about it openly and honestly because she has changed. She has made such a change and I think that her real story is the powerful one, right? Like her real story of being totally fucking addicted to pills and then like going to treatment and like it didn't really work and like her still being really fucking messy and a really low point in her life and like how terrible it feels to, like, go to treatment, expect everything to get better, and then you come home and shit is not better. Like, how awful that all feels. And then to still, like, climb your way out of that is very commendable. And that's a story. But for whatever reason, she doesn't want to tell it. So maybe maybe the next book. <laughs> maybe she'll get honest in the next one. You know, she got honest for, like, I think a good 75% of her first book. So maybe the next book will be, like, the rest. We can hope. All right, everyone. This was a long solo episode. Have I ever done like an almost two hour solo? I mean, I'm sure I have. Ch Chatty Kathy over here. Anyway, I hope everyone has a lovely week. If you want to hear more from me, go to patreon.com slash Liz Explains. Subscribe for $5 and you have access to 1 billion episodes. Okay. I love you all. Kiss, kiss. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.